0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Our scripture reading today comes from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a few moments now for silent reflection. Gracious God, as we come to this moment, we come to this passage having heard it before, experienced it, um, listening to the scriptures with an ear for what you might say to us. Others of us come to this never have he- having heard this passage before, wondering if we could ever believe these things or, if so, what they might mean for our lives. We come to this moment joyful, hopeful, anticipating the future with great joy and enthusiasm. We come to this very moment exhausted, anxious. Worried, addicted, holding a grudge against others or against ourselves or against you that is eating us away from within. However we find ourselves in this very moment, help us to see that you know us, you see us to our depths, and you love us to the greatest heights we could ever imagine in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so now, help us to consider what it means to live in your fullness together. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, years ago, I was in Cambridge, England for a conference, and on the way to Cambridge, I stopped in as one does. I only had 45 minutes, and I'd heard of the world-renowned British Museum, in which there are artifacts from ancient Greece ancient Rome, ancient Egypt. I mean, for an empire that has pretty much conquered the world, they brought back a lot of treasure and put it under one humongous roof. Now, if you Google the British Museum, and many of you have been there before, you will see that they recommend taking maybe a couple days to go through all that's going on here. I mean, there are PhD dissertations that are done on just one wing or one artifact that is in one wing. I had 45 minutes to go through this. So I did my prep work, and I rolled up my sleeves, and I downloaded Rick Steves' quick guide to the British Museum. And I put it on double time in terms of speaking. I put on my my trainers, as the British would call them, and I ran through that museum. Now, my blood starts pumping a little faster as I think of how exciting that was and how rushed that was. And it's the same feeling I get as I read this passage right here. I did an entire seminary class in my master's degree on the the book of Ephesians, the letter from Paul to the scattered churches of Ephesus. We spent weeks on this passage right here. I've traveled to St. Louis to go to a conference and then teach on this very passage. They put us up for a week so that we could dive into it. And here we go. We have like 10 or 15 minutes before we baptize our friends and welcome friends as members of this church. So it's my job to be a little like Rick Steves, try not to speak double time, but to point out some things, and if you, if you don't see anything else, I hope you see these things. Okay? Now, here's one of the first things that strikes me. Maybe the first thing we'll take and we'll, we'll look at, we'll examine, is that the Apostle Paul is writing to these early Christians in, this, in these probably scattered churches in the area of Ephesus. And first thing he, he calls them in the preceding passage, he calls them the saints. Grace and peace from God to all the saints in Ephesus. Now here's the thing about the people in Ephesus. They didn't all act like saints. Which tells you that to be a Christian does not mean that when you tally up all the good things you've done and all the bad things you've done, there's more good than bad, and that's what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that God calls you his own, and you're a saint. A saint is anyone who's identified, who's united with Christ. Today we're going to see more saints come into the church. And right when you say, well, I'm not worthy to be called a saint, that's exactly when you know you're getting it. Because you you become a saint. You become part of his family through his grace by faith. Now, Paul's writing to these Christians, and these Christians have a lot of problems. The church has a lot of problems. They're welcoming in their neighbors with great needs. They have political issues in their time. They have plagues that are ravaging the countryside. They are praying for daily provision. Does this sound familiar at all? And in the midst of all that, it strikes me that Paul, when he prays for them, does not pray for a better emperor. He doesn't pray for economic security. He doesn't even pray for their daily provision. Elsewhere, Jesus will teach us to pray for these things, right? That kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We will pray those things. But when Paul wants to go for the spiritual jugular of the matter, when he wants to unleash all the power and beauty of his request to God on behalf of these scattered, beautiful, broken people, much like ourselves, what does he ask for? He would ask that you already know what you already have in Christ. You know, if you go to the self-help section or if you Google five-minute journal, five-minute journal, there's like a million copies sold right now, it's $25 for a a, a cute-looking journal that simply has the questions, what are you thankful for? There's a whole movement of developing mental, emotional resiliency by cataloging the things you're grateful for. And 2,000 years ago, Paul was saying, that's exactly how you're designed, and you have far more than you realize. So take catalog and take stock of it. Here's what we're going to consider today. What do you already have going for you right now? Whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, something that can never be revoked or taken in a world that feels volatile, in a world where you cannot see around the corner of the calendar and you don't know what next month will look like and neither do I. You don't know what your stock portfolio is gonna do and neither do I. You don't know if we'll be in a war and neither do I. I'm saying these things that you already know. What can you count on in Christ? And here it is. You have far more stability security and resiliency than you ever imagined. Not because you're good enough and strong enough and gosh darn it, people like you, although I hope all that's true, but because he has you in the palm of his hand and he will never leave you or forsake you or let you go. So let's consider the secure hope that he gives us, the surprising inheritance, and then the astonishing power to make all of that happen. First, the hope to which he has called you, the secure hope. This letter asks you a set of diagnostic questions, reflection questions, and the first one it asks is, what do you hope for? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you think about? When you are all alone, when you go to sleep at night, what's the last thing that you're considering? Fill in the blank, my life would be better if blank. Or Christmas is coming, kids, we understand. That's a great way to get in touch with our hope. I hope for, what do you hope for? Alexis de Tocqueville, the French writer in the 1800s, he took a trip to America and he wrote a, a series that, was, that became pretty famous. It was his observations of the American people in the midst of all our affluence, in the midst of a boom time. And he wrote, there is a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. He says, never have I seen a people that have so much and yet are so sad, so hungry for more so unsatisfied. He goes on to say that Americans believe that prosperity could quench our yearning for happiness. He says it's illusory because the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy your human heart. This is Alexis de Tocqueville, the French philosopher and writer preaching the gospel to the people almost 200 years ago. And here's the point. All of us hope in something. The question is, is the thing that you place your hope in, is it strong enough? Is it noble enough? Is it sturdy enough? Is it durable enough to hold your life through all the ups and downs of this world? He says, I hope you know the hope to which you've been called. Now the hope to which you've been called is tied to the riches of his glorious inheritance. See how fast, one first point in two minutes, not too bad, huh? Don't worry, this one goes on for 30. The riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. This is verse 18. You may know the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? There's a surprising inheritance. Now, inheritance is an interesting thing. I didn't think about inheritance much until 13 years ago my dad called me my my mom and dad were divorced when I was very very young I didn't know him very well throughout my upbringing years and then when I became a grown-up I began to develop a relationship with my dad and my dad was just kind of a random person a thoughtful person and a random one and he called me one day I was on the bus the five Fulton bus in San Francisco and he goes son I'm sitting down with my attorney crafting my will and if I was to die what would you want and if that sounds strange to you, don't worry. It sounded strange to me, too. And I told him that. I said, Dad, I'm very uncomfortable approaching the conversation in that way. Let's leave it at this. I expect nothing, and anything you give me is a gift. By the way, are you okay? Right? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. We're just writing these things down. Well, three years later, sadly, tragically, quickly, my dad passed away. This was 10 years ago. And it turns out he left me everything. It turns out he was actually pretty well off here I am, this young pastor in San Francisco, planning to rent a house for the rest of my life, two kids, we didn't have Joshua yet, all of a sudden came into an inheritance. And it changed a lot of circumstances in my life. All of a sudden, I became a homeowner in San Francisco, which meant all of a sudden I had a mortgage in San Francisco. So, you know, more money, more problems. It meant I could be more generous. It meant we could pour ourselves out. I mean, that inheritance led to that property, which led to us buying a house in San Diego and being able to fund the beginning of this church right here because of an inheritance it changed so much now here's the point when scripture talks about inheritance often we think of all of the things you will receive as you are united with Christ you will you will receive life with God you receive power and presence and identity and meaning and belonging and welcome you receive redemption and forgiveness and renewal all of that is true And yet, that's not what Paul is saying here. Because Paul does not say, this is all your inheritance. He says, I hope you know the riches of his glorious inheritance, of God's glorious inheritance. What does God stand to inherit? What do you get the person who has everything? Can you imagine having to go Christmas shopping for Elon Musk? What can you get someone that has everything in the world? You get him the Mona Lisa or the Pieta, I have no idea. You can't give him a space rocket. He already has a fleet of them. What does God consider his inheritance? You. God considers you to be the thing that God desires. What do you get? The one who has all power and all authority. He wants a relationship with you and me. Let that sink in. Because right now, some of you are saying, I I don't think that's true. And that's okay, you're most welcome here. This is a place where you can process all your questions, all your thoughts, all your doubts. But I think even if you're saying, no, I doubt it, there's a part of you that's saying, I wish that was true. I wish there was a God that loved me that much, that deeply, that profoundly. I wish there was a king in this universe that does have power and authority, but actually uses it on behalf of others, not on behalf of themselves. And I would say, perhaps that desire is deep within you, Because there's actually something there to be longed for that could be found in completion in him. What does God receive? God receives you. So it comes back to our question, is it possible that underneath all of your striving and reaching and achieving and worrying and fearing, underneath all of your anxiety to prove yourself, Your desire to matter, your desire to belong, your desire to be right. Is it possible what you're looking for is that voice of God that says, You're all I want? I value you. You have meaning that you would otherwise never be able to imagine. You work so hard to be accepted. Don't you know the welcome that you already have in my family? And my acceptance does not rise and fall based on the amount of Facebook friends or Instagram followers you have. My acceptance, my love is based on my grace and it will never leave you or forsake you. Don't you see that to be a Christian doesn't mean that you leave all this worldly stuff behind. It means now you can actually engage with your job, with your career, in a way that it doesn't have to give you meaning. So when you get the promotion, you feel better. And when you get passed up, you feel terrible. But rather, you can work knowing that you're already accepted and belong. You have a whole new freedom. You can love people, not in a codependent way, that grabs them by the shoulders and says, I need you to need me, or else I don't feel like I really exist. But rather, you can say, I'm already full. My cup overfloweth, and therefore I can love you freely. And so when you're disappointed, you don't need to shun the person or cut them off, but rather you have a new basis of acceptance and relationship altogether. Consider your inheritance. My friends, I'll tell you, I'll just level with you right here. This part is the hardest part of my calling as a pastor, to convince you that God actually loves you this much. I'll tell you what, you want to know why it's so hard? It's hard for me to convince my own heart sometimes. And I think that's why God continually gets in front of us. Almost any page of scripture saying, I have called you, I know you, I love you. Even though your faithfulness wavers, mine never does. And he gets in front of you again and again and again. Now, how do you experience this kind of love? Because most of us have not experienced God in a burning bush like Moses. Most of us have not experienced God in a flash of light like the Apostle Paul. Most of us have not heard a voice from heaven audibly, and if you have, you should probably check with your therapist first. How do you experience this kind of love? Most of us experience this kind of love through the person next to us, from the person across from us. You then become the hands and feet of Christ. I think this is what Paul means when he says, you are now the body of Christ, living out that kind of love in this world. Most of us experience that kind of love when we're loved by someone else. Most of us experience that kind of welcome when we're welcomed by someone else. And and here's the perplexing, amazing, astonishing invitation. That when you are baptized into him, when you are called according to his purpose, when you are identified with Jesus as a Christian, you then become an agent and an ambassador of that kind of love and welcome wherever you go called to reflect this outward in mission we strive at Renew Church to follow Christ to renew our neighborhood our city and our world because as we do that's us taking that responsibility and that calling and putting it into practice right here in the place to which we're called we know we're on to something when neighbors start saying what's up with those people that gather on 30th street the way they love each other is contagious I know those people they don't all agree on everything and yet they treat each other like brother and sister in a loving family? What's up with those people at Renew that meet on 30th Street? And They love their neighbors that that aren't Christians, that aren't part of a church. There's no strings attached. They simply want to pour out their resources on behalf of people that don't have houses. They want to pour out their food. In fact, they don't want to just feed people. They want to bring people together with great joy and good music. What's up with those people creating a banquet with no walls, with no barriers, with open invitations? And as we do that, we're living out more and more this calling to reflect that kind of love into our neighborhood and into our world. That is what transforms the world and that's what transforms you. That point took a little longer. We're swinging to the third point here. This one will be quicker because I cannot stop the sermon there or else it's not good news. And here's why. If you stop the sermon there, it's merely remember better and get busy and do more and you will be exhausted by the time the sun sets. Where do you get the astonishing power to carry this out? Paul talks about the immeasurable, incomparable greatness of his power. Now, studying Greek is not the most fun thing in the world. This, this line in the Greek might be, Chris over here in studying Greek, and he's shaking it head, he knows. This line might be the great payoff for studying Greek because Paul strings together a word, two words, um, megathos dunameos. It's the mega dynamite of God. <laughs> This is the megaton dynamite of God that is without comparison. See, we always know power in comparison to something else, right? So uh, when a hurricane strikes, we say, well, that's one one hundredth the power of a nuclear detonation. And we'll say, well, a nuclear detonation is one one millionth of the power of an explosion on the sun. And an explosion on the sun is one one billionth of the power of a supernova when when a star explodes. And Paul says... God is not to be compared to any of those things. God's not even on the scale. Whatever you can think of that is the most powerful thing in the world is incomparable next to him. And he says, even to the point of death, the one thing that we know is true is death and taxes. I've got a political joke that goes with that. I'll keep to myself. He says, even with a specter of death, at a time of plague, at a time of uncertainty, at a time of difficulty... He has even conquered death itself. He uses his megaton dynamite of kingly power not to build himself a a diamond palace, but he uses it to liberate and set free the oppressed and the oppression that goes on within you. Don't you see that to understand and trust that he has that kind of power and he actually uses it on your behalf is the beginning of a fearless courage we could otherwise never know. You can love fiercely. You can give generously. You can pour yourself out without keeping track of what other people give you in return because his love continually comes toward you. His resurrection power. Now how does Jesus use that power? And we've already said, he goes to the cross. As Paul will say elsewhere to a church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter two, with all power and authority, he didn't see that as something to be exploited and used to push other people down, but rather he divested himself. He emptied himself. He went all the way down, using his power on your behalf and on mine, first, to set us free, second, to breathe new life into us, but third, to give us a new direction in our lives as well that goes outward, to be redirected entirely. And so friends, Let me just invite you to apply this today. Wherever you are, whether you've heard this for the first time or for the millionth time. First, I invite you to refocus your hope. Ask yourself, what do you hope in? And see that he would never leave you or forsake you. See the power that he uses on your behalf. Refocus your hope. We have to continually recalibrate, recalibrate, recalibrate because we lose our way easily. There's no shame in that, but let's admit that that happens and we refocus, recalibrate. Second, remember your identity, that you are the beloved inheritance of the one who already has everything. What does the one who has everything want? wants you. So when that voice comes in and tells you you're a failure, you got it wrong, you've made a mistake, gosh, you've made so many mistakes, you're probably never gonna get it right, let this voice come in even louder and say, I know you, I love you, I call you my own. You are my inheritance. Third, reconnect with community. How do we experience this great immeasurable inheritance, this great love? We experience it in community. We're going to see our friends become members of the church today. Friends become baptized into this faith and into this family today. And that is a picture of the way that we experience these things together. Now, I know it is hard to do. It's hard to come together while we have to stay apart. You know, social distancing and quarantine, stay-at-home orders, all of that. Yes, that's a reality, which means we have to try even harder whether it's the Zoom meeting, the prayer gathering, the community group, whether it's coming here on Sunday, whether it's simply picking up the phone and calling one another. One of the things I love about the members joining today, and we've done a good job at staying six feet apart and all of that, but before the service, we came together for a prayer. And I love seeing the members not only being connected to the church, kind of in general, but looking each other in the eye and saying, I'm connected to you in particular as we come together. So reconnect with community. And if you need help with that, I really do want to help you. Go to the website, hit the contact or connect button at the top. I'm here for you. We'll help you connect. And then finally, receive that resurrection power and redirect it outward in mission to serve your neighbors. And for you, that will be an act of creativity because you have opportunities that I can't even envision. You will connect with people that I don't know. You will be in situations that I'm not aware of. You will uniquely get to live out this resurrection power exactly where you are. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ones. Sometimes in ways you plan, often in ways that are serendipitous and surprising. And in the midst of all of that, Christ the King, with his great reign of the kingdom of God, advances as the light covers the darkness. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would give us whatever we need in this very moment. As Paul prayed, we pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope to which you've called us, that we would know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Would you please open our eyes to your grace, open our hearts to your love, open our minds to your truth, and open our lives more and more to your kingly reign that serves and loves and renews all through Christ our Lord, Amen.